Good day everybody, Henderson Outdoors podcast coming at you from Edmonton, Alberta. Today on the show, we're having a behind the scenes look at Outdoor Quest TV. Uh, Anybody that's watched uh, hunting shows for the last 20 years has probably checked out an episode of Outdoor Quest with uh, TJ Schwanke, Alberta's own. So... Coming up next, TJ Schwanke, Outdoor Quest TV. Stay tuned. Good day, everybody. Uh, today with me on the show, I have TJ Schwanke. Um, thanks for taking time out of your day to talk to me, TJ. Really appreciate it. Um, oh, it's my pleasure, Jason. You've got uh, quite a reputation in in Western Canada anyways, uh, probably all over, but uh, I know you mostly from uh, a lot of your outdoor writing and uh, as of, what is this, 18 seasons now for Outdoor Quest? We're just actually wrapping up our 20th season Holy up here of broadcast. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I, I read the wrong information there, so 20, 20 seasons. Yeah, That's, and I did a, a fishing show for um, six years prior to that, so been in the television business a long time. That's that's pretty awesome. Um, I, I know I was talking with one of my cousins before I came on with you, and he was like, "You're you're talking to TJ?" He's like, "No way! That's I, oh man, I've watched that guy for years." So, that makes me sound like an old guy. So. No, but I mean, you've, you've got to, like, I'm I'm 43, so I've been following you probably as, as long as you've been putting stuff out. So, yeah, I think I wrote my first magazine articles in 1986. Jeez, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. It's a wealth of knowledge, though, right? <laughs> I know you've put stuff out in uh, BC Outdoors magazine, uh, as well as Outdoor Canada. Um, yeah, do regular columns for Albert Outdoorsman, and um, yeah, I've written for pretty much all the Canadian magazines over the years, and quite a few of the U.S. ones, and a few in Africa, and a couple in Europe. Nice. Do you, yeah. know, do you know Gord Pizer? Oh, I know Gord very well. <laughs> I had had the pleasure of meeting him uh, up at a Cabela's opening. Uh, well, when they did the Windermere store uh, back when that first opened, he made an appearance here and uh, got to sit and talk with him for a little bit one day while I was there working. But yeah, cool, still one of my favorite fishing writers. Yeah, no, he's got a he's got a pretty good Instagram page too. That, yeah. that grandson of his just sm- smashes <laughs> fish. He's had a good teacher. Yeah, it's uh, pretty phenomenal. So. Um, how many countries have you gotten the chance to hunt with Outdoor Quest? Uh, Do you have any idea? You know what? I honestly don't. I've been on all six continents, and um, it's, I don't know, it's got to be 20 or 30 different countries for Holy sure. moly. Because yeah. I, I, was, I was just flipping through uh, some of your YouTube stuff that you guys have posted online, and... There's Africa and Poland and Australia, and New Zealand, and then all over Canada as well as some stuff in the U.S. But yeah, I've been been in Asia as well. So, so what what's the draw to to go over to uh, these foreign countries? 
Oh, man, it's, um, for me, it's like being a kid again, um, you know, and I'm getting a little bit older here, and you go to some of these countries, and I mean, you don't know what the plants are, you don't know what the animals are, and I, it's just that really revitalized feeling, and we try to get really immersed in the local culture when we're there, so you learn so much about the culture, the food is all unique, you know, the drink is all unique, and hunting's a great excuse to go there, but I mean, it's certainly not the only reason we're there. There's just so much when you're there and so much to learn. Um, you know, even South Africa, I think, you know, people have been to South Africa one time, figure that, you know, every South African hunt is in a 10,000 acre high fenced ranch. And we've been there seven times now. And every time we've gone, we have just, you know, discovered a new part of that country and, um, you know, opportunities we didn't know existed. So I think that's part of the, the allure of going. I mean, I love hunting Canada. I love hunting Alberta. And, you know, that will never change. We have some of the best hunting in the world. But, you know, when you've hunted as long as I have, I mean, I've, I don't know how long I've been hunting, you know, 40 plus years kind of thing. It's nice to go just not know what you're doing again. You want to get out and get on something different. Yeah, and just like we, like I say, we really like the culture and the food and all that kind of stuff in addition to, you know, learning about the wildlife and the plants and all that. So it, it just, you know, it, it's a really unique opportunity to do that, and it's pretty addicting once you start. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, you guys have been to a lot of places and, yeah. and hunted some pretty cool stuff. Um, we, yeah, we really have. What, what do you, okay, over... In, in Africa, Europe, and that, what would you say would be your favorite hunt out of that stuff? Oh, man. We, um, we just got back from a trip to South Africa, and um, there's some incredible mountain hunting on the eastern cape of South Africa. I mean, they've got mountains there that are 8,000 feet. You know, they get snow in them. It gets, you know, we were just minus four when we were camping there, and there's some really unique mountain species to be found there it's the only place you'll find them in the world basically i mean they're plentiful there but you don't find them other places so you know something like the barbary sheep and the vol raybuck and um, stuff like that is so cool we just kind of keep finding ourselves going back to the eastern cape of south africa there's a lot of like true true free range hunting there i mean those animals have you know roamed free there for centuries and you know they still do like they have for for hundreds of years um, but when we were in Romania last year, I will say that was a really cool hunt as well. We hunted a place there called the Plains of Sacador. And throughout the year, there's maybe two or 300 fallow deer live on the Plains of Sacador. And when the rut starts, there's literally 4,000 deer move in there to rut. Wow. And it's kind of been the exclusive hunting grounds of kings and dictators up until, well, the early 90s when Ceausescu um, was disposed. And uh, then it slowly became open to the public but there's still you know only 50 or 60 hunters get to hunt there every year and that first morning when we were there it was like a curtain coming up on a on a play and it was just all these deer out there and i don't know if you've ever been around fallow deer but they're just the noisiest most aggressive deer you'll ever be around in the rut and it was just one of the coolest sights i think i've ever seen in my life i've i've never had a chance to experience uh any sort of hunting outside of north america stuff and i mean more more to the fact of Alberta that's my been my limitation I've never hunted outside Alberta so be careful if you do because it does become addicting it's addicting <laughs> I understand I uh, I talked with a buddy of mine that lives out in the Carrot Creek country and yeah he went over to Africa and he's like you know you get over there and he says everything's so cheap 
and you shoot one, and then he's like, then you want to do this, and then you want to do that, and the next thing you know, you piled up this this list, and uh, and getting it back across the border sometimes takes a little while. So, yeah, and I mean, and that's a good point. Like, I think a lot of these hunts are a lot more affordable than you know people believe. I mean, certainly Africa is not the domain of the rich. Um, Eastern Europe is just some of the best bargains on earth right now. So, you know, even for just you know, a guy working a nine to five job, there's, there's some good opportunity. And I know lots of guys who just have, you know, just regular jobs who go to Africa every two or three years, have been to Europe and there's just, I think, picking your priorities, but it's, you know, it's certainly not the exclusive domain of the rich to go hunt overseas by any means. Yeah. This one is a tough one. Okay. If you could only hunt one animal for the rest of your life, what would it be? Oh, I mean, I, for me, I think it would be sheep. I was going to say you're, you're a big sheep guy. Yeah, for sure. And I, I don't know if I'd want to pick one of the, of the three sheep we have here in no, Canada. Okay. Kind we, of won't, thing. we won't limit you to that, but we'll just say sheep. Yeah. And I mean, I, and again, it's just spending time in a magical part of the world. Um, you know, I just love the mountains and, yeah. you know, we spend so much time in the mountains all summer long scouting and everything else. And, you know, I, I certainly could have killed a lot more sheep than I've killed over the years, but, um, I don't know, to me, it's just an amazing hunt and an amazing place to be. And they're an amazing animal. Yeah. Mine, I, I would have to say would be elk. Yeah. And I mean, that's pretty limited experience wise. Other, you know, I've done elk, moose, mule deer, whitetail, the standard stuff. Uh, I've, like I said, I've never had a chance to go overseas. I'd really like to do New Zealand and, and, uh, do a stag over there. But yeah, just some of the stuff you guys do is, is pretty interesting to watch and it's great to see it out. Uh, yeah. And I mean, New Zealand's a, a fabulous place and, you know, we've been there, I think three or four times and, you know, just had tremendous trips every time. And, um, but it was kind of neat to go to Eastern Europe last year and hunt red stags, um, you know, where they're native, you know, where they're still free, free range kind of thing. I mean, that's where the New Zealand stags came from, you know, yeah. 150 years ago. So it was, it was kind of neat to go kind of back in time. Like we'd hunted the stags in New Zealand and then kind of went right back to their origins, which was, was really cool. Old world. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Uh, some people don't understand where origins of some of this stuff came from. I mean, you know, when they're introduced in there way back, people just look at it like, oh yeah, that's New Zealand's pretty famous for the stags, but this is where they actually came from. Yeah, exactly. I mean, New Zealand, the only original or native mammals there, there's a bat and a seal. Yeah. You know, so that's it. So every other you know, mammal that lives there has been introduced. Dropped and, off by a boat. and I mean, certainly the British were, you know, famous for hauling animals all over the world. And, you know, some of the stuff you find, I mean, you can even find, you know, fallow deer and red stags in, in South Africa. Um, you know, there's brown trout and things like that that yeah. you'd never expect there. Yeah. Well, a buddy of mine told me about some pretty good uh, salmon fishing way down in Argentina. Yeah. And I was like, holy moly, I didn't think, you know, anything about that. But yeah, apparently they've got a pretty good run of uh, of springs that come in. So yeah, no, there's, you never know, once you, start, you might find some stuff. Well, and that's the thing. Once you start exploring a little bit and, you know, we go to quite a few of the bigger shows in the States, like Safari Club International Show and stuff like that. And just walking around the halls there and every once in a while you just stop and go, holy man, 
I never knew that. And that was kind of how we discovered this Barbary sheep hunting on the Eastern Cape of South Africa. Um, you know, just walking around the Africa show here in Calgary, actually. And there was a little tiny booth and this guy had a picture of a, a Barbary sheep there. So stopped and got talking to him and all of a sudden found out, you know, there was a huge mountain range there with several thousand free ranging sheep on it and ended up over there hunting them. Yeah. So filming all of this stuff that you do must be pretty interesting. It is. I mean, mean, you've got 20 years of of probably technical difficulties and weather issues and animals not cooperating with shot angles and camera placement. I, I can only imagine because I work for an outfitter moose hunting and every once in a while we've got one of these guys that comes up and he wants to try and get this all on video. Yeah. And... So what, what's the biggest challenge that you have filming your adventures? Um, you know, for us, like we've got a over the shoulder style, um, you know, I think that's why we've been around so long and people like our show. We kind of like to make people believe they're the camera, just kind of looking over our shoulder. So, you know, not a lot of stuff on tripods, not a lot of, you know, fancy setups and things like that. So, and I mean, we'll take a shot that, you know, maybe the camera isn't a hundred percent on, but I mean, it's still going to get it. Certainly over the years we've, you know, we've had animals lost because, or I mean, that we couldn't shoot because of the camera, but for the most part, it's a pretty normal hunt. So, um, you know, and that's a good thing about Vanessa and I like, you know, when she's hunting, I run camera and, um, you know, when I'm hunting, she runs camera. So it's oh, it, nice. So, I mean, the two of us really work well together I and mean, yeah. we've been doing it for 15 years kind of thing. So it, it makes it a lot more simple. Like there's no sound man, there's no field producer, there's nothing. It's just the two of us, you know, and if we're hunting alone, it's just the two of us or, yeah. you know, if we're with like, an outfitter or a guide, there, you know, there may be three of us, but for the most part, it's what you see is, you know, the way it happens. And I think, you know, there's some in my mind, some really, really gorgeously produced um, shows on television, but in, in some ways they're kind of overproduced. Like it, it's just not yeah. natural. Um, so, so that's what we do. I mean, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but you know, that's, we've always tried to show things just how they happen. And, you know, if we screw up, if we miss, you know, and you know, God forbid, if we wound an animal, I mean, we'll show those things because it you know happens. that's what happens in everyday hunting. And, you know, sometimes we'll get criticized by people on, on the internet. And, uh, you know, I say to those people, like either you haven't hunted very long or you're a liar, you know, if you haven't <laughs> yeah. missed an animal or if you haven't wounded an animal. And, um, you know, it's not something we set out to do and we don't, you take shots that are, you know, going to lead to that. But, you know, every, we shoot enough animals a year, like some animal years we may shoot, you know, 20 or 30 animals. So, you know, occasionally it's going to happen. Yeah, it does. It happens to everybody. Yeah. Um, Sooner or later, it's just one of those things where an animal takes a step as you pull the trigger and now your shot placement's bad or, or whatever branches. You, yeah, I know for sure. But so. I mean, there's the odd time that the camera probably messes up a hunt more than anything. I mean, it, it's, it's often easy for a rifle to get into position to shoot, but yeah, you know, getting now the getting the camera, camera to get this. So, I mean, we've definitely spooked animals that probably wouldn't have got spooked, but um, it's probably a lot less intrusive than, you know, some of the people you've worked with and, yeah. and, and probably some of the TV shows in general, just because, you know, we don't try and do anything fancy. It's mostly handheld right over the shoulder of the, of the hunter. Nice. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That was another thing I was going to ask you about your, your camera crew. So that, that pretty much answers all my questions because I figured it would be you and Vanessa and at least one other person. But yeah. And I mean, it's 
pretty rare. I mean, the odd time we will use a cameraman, but for the most part, yeah. it's just the two of us. And, you know, we just interact really well together and have been doing it for so long that, um, you know, you rarely ever have to speak to the other person, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. in it's the heat just, of the moment kind of thing. Yeah, like second nature. Yeah, so, I mean, it makes it enjoyable for us. I don't think I'd want to, you know, haul a whole crew around. And, you know, sometimes we're gone for two weeks or a month and you know the two of us get along great and yeah. you know you, all of a sudden you start throwing more people into the mix and you know if it's a miserable day out or anything else like we're both ready to go and you know all of a sudden if you've got crew that maybe isn't quite as outdoor inclined it's you know it, it can be a bit of a challenge for sure yeah oh yes i've experienced this <laughs> every <laughs> once in a while you got a day and it's like okay we should be out there hunting yeah. and you got somebody that's just no sorry it's caught time today so yeah exactly and you know we just don't yeah. and not that we don't have that luxury we just don't want to do that like we're hunters and no, we're but that's what you're doing that's why yeah. you've got 20 seasons under your belt yeah because sure. you're getting out of bed every day and you're doing it right yeah exactly so yeah. that's that's pretty awesome to have that much time and and then putting it in in writing and articles and and things like that and then producing a tv show yeah so i mean <laughs> on, that's top, the other thing, so. on top of scouting like yeah i i can't even imagine how much time you guys have to dedicate to this well we do and i mean we both have you know real jobs that pay money kind of thing too so it's um you know it, it's a real passion but it it eats up a lot of our lives. Like we pretty much live and breathe hunting when we're not doing our real jobs kind of thing. Yeah. So what, speaking of a real job, what do you do outside? Oh, I'm a man of many hats, but um, I do some contract work for Alberta Fish and Game Association. So I do manage um, their wildlife properties. So they're entitled to about 100,000 acres throughout the province in their wildlife trust fund. So um, I manage those properties. Um, I do some wildlife-friendly fencing projects, volunteer-based projects here in Alberta. And so I organize those. And I don't know, I help out on a ranch. And wow. uh, I do quite a few yeah. different things no, to kind of pay many the bills. Hats. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, the writing and the TV, it yeah. all kind of adds up to a living. But, you know, certainly there's not a living to be made in writing or television in Canada. Yeah, but it's it must be fun. Um, it is. I mean, it's still a job, though, and I guess that's kind of what I try to tell people with the television business. Like, you know, I'm not a professional hunter or anything like that. Like, I'm a professional TV producer, yeah. and that, that's my job is producing television, and I treat that as a business, as we have from day one, and I think that's kind of where... A lot of people are just so anxious to be on television, especially nowadays that it's so much easier to be on TV than when I started. Um, you know, I think they sometimes forget the business aspect of it. And, and for us, that's always been first and foremost that, yes, this is a business. Because, I mean, to be perfectly honest with you, it would be a lot more fun going hunting without the camera. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it doesn't pay. <laughs> so, really. I mean, yeah, I mean, we make enough for the time we put into, you know, to make it worthwhile. I mean, it's, but it is a job and that's, you know, we treat it like that every day too. You know, we show up to work and we go home to work and, you know, when I have deadlines for the TV to have shows into the network and things like that, they're always met. So I think that's the important thing, yeah. you know, for anybody thinking about getting into this business is, you know, it is a business. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So how 20 years ago how did you get started in the tv end of this you were you were writing previous to this outdoor quest yeah so and then i used to fish um while i professionally way way back when and i had a 
television network out of Regina contact me and another fellow, Bob Kirkpatrick, about doing a fishing show for them. So it was a great opportunity. Um, so I jumped at it, and I kind of used that as almost my TV university. So, you know, kind of learned all aspects of production. And, you know, that time, you know, we were still filming on tape and editing on tape. And, I mean, it was it was pretty old school. Yeah. But um, it was great. And I really spent the time to learn, you know, the business plus the camera work plus the editing plus all that. Um, so after about five or six years of that, I realized I was enjoying it, but I just didn't really see a big future in it. And, um, you know, my real passion was hunting. And at that time, there was there was no network in Canada. And no. in the U.S., there was 44 hunting shows total. Um, and just to put that in perspective, a couple of years ago when we were at SHOT Show, there was 800 TV shows there. Wow. So kind of, you know, approached a few networks and kind of figured out what was needed to get a show on and, you know, kind of looked at the logistics of it. Knew enough companies that, you know, we could get sponsorship from to at least pay our bills the first year and just kind of jumped in and did it. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's a big jump. I've looked at at doing it myself and I was like, geez, I don't, I don't know if I'm ready to commit to to do that much. Yeah. Why, I mean, why can't I just video this stuff and send it to somebody? Yeah. And I mean, it, it, it becomes a big expense too. you know, like it's, you got to raise a fair bit of money. And back then it was even harder. Cause I mean, we had to hire a cameraman back then because, you know, cameras were worth $35,000 back then. And, um, our editor, his edit suite was a hundred thousand dollars worth of equipment in it. So we had to hire an editor back then. So, you know, there was all those costs that came with it as well. I mean, it, it's a lot easier getting a TV nowadays. I mean, you can buy a camera for, you know, three grand and buy an edit suite for another three grand. And, you know, you're kind of off to the races other than not having much experience. I mean, just the, the fact that you, you learned all this stuff, the video editing, and and put it all together yourself so that pretty much answered my next question is who handles the tech stuff yeah right? so that's and I all enjoy you it. yeah and and i really enjoy like i really enjoy the editing process it's um it's just a really creative part and it's kind of nice working with your own footage i mean you know exactly what you've shot um you were there for the hunt you know exactly what happened so it, i think it makes editing a lot simpler too when we first started in the business, you know, we'd have to log all the footage for the editor, and then we'd pretty much have to sit with the editor through the process. And, you know, kind of at that point, it was just a matter of learning which buttons to push to do the job he was doing, because I was telling him what shots and everything to use anyways. So, and now, like, the, you know, the gear and the equipment is just so much simpler nowadays that it's... Yeah. Or definitely more affordable anyways. So, let's talk a little bit about your gear setup. Um if if guys are looking at wanting to record a hunt or you know maybe try and dabble in this what are you using for a recording setup like camera um, so wise we, we're still using true video cameras we're not using DSLRs and for me there's a number of reasons for that and um I just like the video cameras better. You don't have to change lenses all the time, so you get a much bigger zoom range. Um, I can get a lot more features in a video camera cheaper than I can in a DSLR. Um, they're quicker to focus, and we just upgraded to all 4K cameras. So we're shooting in 4K now. But, I mean, you can buy a, you know, a really good broadcast-quality 4K camera for you know, between $2,500 and $3,500. They are definitely getting a lot more affordable. 
I mean, oh, yeah. as the technology is out there, like the stuff that used to be a $3,000 camera, you can now pick up for 800 or a thousand bucks. And yeah, it, it, the quality is good. And the memory capacity on them is just unreal with some of these new cards that are out there. Like, it is, but now shooting in 4K camera with the 4K hole, it eats memory yeah, and batteries I quickly bet. compared to what we were doing. I bet. So <laughs> how much gear exactly do you need to take uh, production-wise to film a hunt? Like, oh, you're not just taking one camera with you and a battery. You no, probably like we, have X amount. We, yeah, like if we go overseas, you know, we'll take a couple cameras and, you know, probably eight different batteries and a couple chargers and a couple microphones, but it's still probably only 25 pounds. I mean, I can go do a back backpack sheep hunt with probably 15 pounds of gear, you know, which is really changed the way we, um, I guess do television. Like when I first started in 99. Just filming gear? Yeah. Okay. 15 pounds. I was going to say, if this is your entire bag, what no, sort no, of no, magical the, stuff do you yeah. have? No, no. So that'd be the extra 15 pounds on, on top of everything else gotcha. you have to take. Yeah. But, you know, just to put it in perspective, like when we first started, you know, cameras were probably 30, 35 pounds. Yeah. And batteries for a week would have been 50 pounds. Holy moly. So yeah, I remember, that's a lot of gear. Yeah, so, we did a stone sheep shoot back in kind of the late 90s, I think it was. And like we needed a whole pack horse just yeah, for it was camera horses. batteries and everything. I was going to say, there's no way you're packing that in on a backpack. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right on. So what uh, what's your preference for a firearm when you're hunting? Uh, you mean brand? What do, what do you what do you like for well caliber mostly? Um, you know, um, is it is it depending on where you're going and yeah, what you're after and my mood that day? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm because I I just I just straight up switched to a 300 Win Mag. Yeah, and if I had to suggest you know a cartridge for someone for an all around cartridge in Alberta, that you know either that or the 338 Win Mag. But I'm just one of those guys who just loves guns. Yeah, um, me too. You know, I'll kind of <laughs> purge and sell a whole bunch of guns and kind of go, okay, I don't need that many guns. I don't need that many guns. And then you know. Two or three years later, I'm kind of back where I started again. But my problem um, is, I don't ever sell them. Yeah, and I I do every once in a while, but then I just accumulate a bunch more. So I don't know. I really enjoy shooting like a lot of different cartridges. Yeah. Um, so a lot of my mountain stuff, um, I try to stick with pretty low recoil stuff, just because a lot of times you know you're shooting prone, it's it's longer distances, things like that. So you know, six five Creedmoor, two seventy WSM. Um, yeah. Been shooting a seven out eight here a lot lately. We just took it to Africa on those last trip and and really really liked it yeah um you know i've got a 300 win mag that you know goes a lot of places with me as well and yeah i mean i i, I definitely wouldn't want to be pinned down to one it's just it's just too much fun shooting different rifles yeah i'm a firm believer that you know I, you can definitely tailor stuff to what you're shooting if i was just going after deer i would be probably taking one of my 270s i i get into you know elk Elk hunting is my favorite, mm -hmm. and I I don't like to chase them. So that three hundred with a two hundred gram bullet, it knocks down everything. No, oh, no, it does the job. There's no question about that. And you know, if a person shoots it well, like I mean, I shot an elk here in Alberta last year that you know just a little over five hundred yards with a three hundred win mag, and um, you know, it's it's a super capable cartridge for sure. Yeah, no, that's good. 
So out of out of everything you've hunted in North America, what what do you enjoy other than sheep? Um, I do really enjoy elk hunting. I really do. Um, my biggest problem with elk is they taste so good. So I, I have a really hard time, you know, passing up any legal elk. So I mean, we've been pretty lucky. We typically always have elk meat in the freezer, and I've been lucky enough to kill some decent bulls over the years. Um, I love hunting antelope. Um, if I could hunt antelope every year, I would. Yeah, they just to me, it's just that open country hunting, and they're just such a pretty animal. And um, you know, I spend quite a bit of time working down in that country in the summertime on a fencing project. So it you got yeah, a pretty it, good it, handle on where they're at. Yeah, and it's just it's just such a fun hunt. And you know, caribou are another one to me that everybody should experience at least once. I've been on probably a dozen caribou hunts in my life, and you know, just seeing that many animals with that much antler on their head is it's just spectacular yeah yeah i saw my first caribou this year in newfoundland okay cool my wife is is from uh, over on the island side and yeah we went up there to visit some family and we got to see some pretty big bull moose too mm-hmm. uh there was one guy there that holy moly he definitely you know it, it wasn't uh wasn't hunting pressure or anything like that but the tourist pressure yeah had him hidden away and we finally found him on the last second last day i was up there and he was he was pushing 50 inches in velvet in the middle of june oh wow so he was gonna be a pretty big bull yeah no kidding <laughs> which for there is a really big bull yeah and we got did get to see some uh caribou while we were up there too i didn't realize how white they were that time of year yeah they are very much so like they really big black eyes and just this white head and mm-hmm. my daughter and i got to kind of walk up to some that were standing over by one of the parking areas and and go check them out and she loves them right oh yeah Any, no, very cool. anything it's, it's so. something everybody should hunt once in their life it's just yeah it's just one of those really really cool hunts yeah so how's your um moose hunting um you know i enjoy moose hunting i just one of the problems in alberta now is just Getting how infrequently tags. you can get tags and especially <laughs> you know down here in our country i mean it's seven yeah. eight years between tags now so yeah i um, hear you yeah, I mean, I, I love hunting moose. We're actually going to um, northern BC on a hunter host with a buddy in September on a moose hunt. Cool. So definitely looking forward to that. And, um, you know, I've been lucky over the years to, to kill a lot of bulls. And, you know, moose, like elk, are such good eating that um, it's definitely nice to have them in the freezer. Are you going to tape it? Yeah, I know for sure. Nice. Yeah. Now, is that a calling season tag? Um, yeah, we'll be actually, um, so right at the end of September when we're in there, so they should yeah. be really wound up when we're in there. Yeah, yeah, that's so that's my thing. I, I guide for an outfitter out of Leduc. Oh, okay. And uh, we get them from the 23rd to, well, depending on how many hunters we have, um, we could have two camps, but first camp is from the 24th to the 1st of October seven days so yeah they're in there and they're wound up yeah we're gonna be pretty far north where we're going to so i mean i think you probably see that rut a week or two earlier so like we should be right in the prime of it too yeah for sure yeah so looking forward to that it's been uh i guess vanessa shot a moose last year so um she did get a tag but yeah it's just it's kind of one of those animals that i used to enjoy hunting every two or three years and now it seems to be every five or six i just because of my timeline and schedule i have never shot a moose in the rut yeah i guess not with your guiding them i've uh i've helped kill probably close to 40 uh, over over the years yeah just from you know you've got take two this year and three one year and how many get you get down but 
it's pretty infrequent to to pull a tag uh, anywhere you want one. So yeah, we used to like, I used to really enjoy hunting those mountain bulls down here, but uh, we used to be able to draw every two or three years, but um, now it's like at least eight. Yeah. So what's uh, what's new for Outdoor Quest coming up this year? Uh, we've got some. What's going on in season twenty? <laughs> in season twenty one. Twenty one. Yeah, we've got some actually pretty cool North American hunts this year. We're um, we're doing that moose hunt. Uh, that's kind of we'll start here archery hunting, obviously, but um, then we're headed off to BC on that moose hunt, and then we go straight from there. Vanessa drew a New Mexico elk tag, and then we're stopping on the way home to hunt antelope with some friends in Wyoming. Oh, nice. Yeah, and then hopefully get a little more sheep hunting in here, and then we usually hunt whitetails and elk pretty hard during the month of November, just around home here. So for anybody that wants to head south of the border, how difficult is it to get a license down there if you got a passport? Oh, it's not difficult at all. Um, a lot of the western states we hunt in, it's you have to draw a tag. Okay. So, um, you know, Vanessa's been applying for 11 years or 12 years before she drew this elk tag. So, you know, it can take a long time to draw a tag. But um, I think between us, we put in for about 17 tags down there. So wow. usually every two or three years we draw a tag. So who handles all your draw applications? Um, we use United States Outfitters <laughs> to do our um, to do our applications. It, it's so much easier to use an application service down there. There's just so much going on, and it's it's pretty cheap to do. And just trying to keep up with all the oh, you know, I was going to say there must be a list like a mile long. Yeah, depending so, on where you're putting in and for what and what unit and what species and what time frame. Yeah, exactly. So um, the Wyoming applications we did on our own, it was just kind of a last minute thing. Some friends invited us down. But, um, you know, for most of our better jaws, like, you know, for desert sheep and elk and mule deer and antelope, we use a, an application service. Cool. Yeah. That makes so, it makes so it quite a bit simpler. where are you going for elk? So we're going to be right up in the northwest corner of New Mexico. Oh, wow. Yeah, so lots of elk. Um, not giant ones up there, but just a lot of elk and we'll probably catch them just kind of right at the end of the rut so and this is a cool. draw yeah or was so like a draw it, yeah so it took you Vanessa like 12 years to draw it wow yeah what uh what class of a bull are you looking to pull probably three, like 300 the, plus 320 yeah yeah, three hundred to three twenty kind of thing. Yeah, big six by six, maybe seven. Yeah, exactly. So that's kind of going to be the top end in this unit. I mean, there's some really great units down there to draw in, but you know, you may never draw a tag in your life. So we just kind of compromise a bit and go with the good units, but once yeah. you still have a good chance of drawing. Are you going with an outfitter, or are you yeah, doing it yourself? On this one. Okay. Yeah, no, this one we're going to go with an outfitter. It's it's only a five day hunt, so yeah. Who are you going just, with? Um, United States Outfitter. So okay. the same ones we drew the tag through. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's kind of, we didn't have any time to scout or anything. We're literally home for a day between the BC moose hunt and leaving for that hunt. Holy. So. Yeah. That's fast. Throw the meat in the freezer and go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, be a lot of kilometers on the truck in a few, in a month. Yeah. Drive but, down there and are you're bringing, bringing every, how, how difficult is it to bring stuff back into Canada? Um, it's not difficult at all. So like okay. your meat is, as long as it was, you know, you've got your, your hunting license. Yeah. Um, so you just have to stop um, at the U.S. border, coming back, get an export permit, and then come right through Canada. Gotcha. Because yeah, I know them taking it from Canada to the stateside, there's no no issue. It's like, here's my license, here's, yeah. here you go, and they let them across the border with it. So 
Yeah, pretty simply. It's a little more difficult to take a firearm into the U.S. than it is from the U.S. into Canada, but it's still, you just have to apply for a permit in advance. So what kind of an application process is that? Is it like a, a couple of days or? I think it can take anywhere from like two to six weeks. So just so people know, if you're yeah. going across to the States, months, yeah. give it a couple of months to get yeah. your permits. Yeah, exactly. Because you don't want to get hung up at the border and have your gun stay there. No, exactly. And I mean, without them, like you can't even try to cross. So it's yeah. Well, unless you know somebody that's got one down there. Yeah, knows? exactly. And that's the other option. But yeah, um, yeah, we like to travel with our own just because we're familiar with them. So we yeah. pretty much take them everywhere in the world we go. So how is that flying with firearms? Like, how often do you find them and you get them there and they're not zeroed? Not a problem. I mean, we use good cases and. You know, our guns are pretty, I've had guns show up a day late on a couple hunts, but for the most part, they show up on time and, you know, in good condition. And depending on the country you go to, there, you know, there can be a fair bit of paperwork involved. But again, if it's something you get on well in advance, and like when we travel to Africa, for example, we just use a, a permit service there to do our, our permits and help us clear the police when we're there. And, you know, it's it's quite inexpensive and just so worth not having to go through the hassle. No, that's awesome because I know... There's people that are, that are listening that have questions about, okay, this is what I need to do when I'm going here. But I'm sure when you book with, uh, you know, if you're going to Africa, whoever you contact over there is going to have all this information for you on how to get your firearms across, or they're going to have some stuff there available for you to use. Yeah, I mean, they'll get you in touch with one of the permit services for sure. There's like two or three main permit services in Johannesburg. And it's just so, you know, it's $150 or whatever it is. They meet you at the airplane, walk you through the police station, send you, you know, you're on your way in yeah. 45 minutes kind of thing. So it's it's pretty Easy. simple that way. Um, one thing a lot of people don't realize is as soon as you fly overseas, you do need an export permit from Canada as well. Oh, Interesting. Um, so, so you don't need to go to the U.S. or Mexico, but as soon as you go overseas, you do. And um, that's one thing, you know, a few people do get tripped up on, and it's yeah. just a temporary export permit. But again, it can take a couple of weeks to get. But if you're going to Africa or somewhere like that, you need that permit before you can apply for the other permit. So it, it's kind of all a process. But once you've been through it once or twice, it's, you know, it, it seems a little overwhelming, I think, the first time you do it. But um, now it's it's kind of really easy to do, and it's really easy for me to do because Vanessa does it all. <laughs> Yeah, here you go. Thanks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right on. Oh, geez. That's good. Um, so where is your show now? What what network are we with? I know uh, up in Canada for the longest time it was Wild TV, and now recently it's the Wild Pursuit Network. Yeah, so we're but, still airing on Wild Pursuit till the end of this year. Yeah. Um, and we honestly haven't made a decision where we're going to air in um, in 2020. So, you know, gotcha. there's a new sportsman's channel now okay. in Canada, and there's Wild Pursuit. And we're just kind of weighing our options right now. So we had a, a three-year contract with Wild Pursuit, and that's, you know, this is the last year of that. Okay. So we're just going to weigh in a few options, just kind of see what's, you know, going to be our best option, what's going to be the best option for our sponsors. Um, we've done a few, well, actually, we've done more than a few, quite a few informal polls on our Facebook page and, you know, kind of see where our viewers would like to see us as well. Yeah. Well, that's all good information. And we really try to engage our viewers on social media. Um, 
you know, so, you know, if we change a sponsor or something like that, we kind of let them know why it happened. And, you know, here's the scoop. Like, there's no yeah. secrets involved. And so that's why, to us, it was pretty important when we were deciding, you know, where we're going to go for 2020 um, is to involve our viewers. Just, you know, so, I mean, they are kind of like family to us in a lot of yeah. ways. You know, a lot of them have well, been with us for a long, yeah, long time. time. And, and we've met a lot of them. I mean, you know, we did a, a hunt giveaway a year and a half ago, and we just completed that hunt with three of the winners here um, last month and, um, you know, had only ever met one of them before. Um, but it was like we were all old friends kind of thing just because we'd followed each other on Facebook and knew each other and, and just kind of had a blast. So it is kind of amazing. Like you'll, you'll meet somebody at a sportsman show or something like that and, you know, you've never met them in their life, but you know everything about their family and everything else. So yeah, I enjoy social media for that reason. And um, like you say, we try to engage people, you know, as much as we can. And, well, and it's awesome that you faith. do because there's a lot of people that don't. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you know, it's it's just good PR when you're talking to everybody and shaking hands. Like, yeah, and we enjoy the people. I mean, you know, we've we've made some pretty good lifelong friends off of off of Facebook as well. So it's uh, I don't know, it's it's been good for us. Like, we we really enjoy that aspect of it. And I know, like you say, some people don't, but we really do. No, this is good stuff, TJ. That pretty much wraps it up for me. So I thank you for all that uh, that you do for the hunting and fishing industry with with your show because it's uh, it's a big job and uh, you take it on every week. So no, no, thanks, Jason. And I mean, it's been really great talking to you. And um, you know, we love talking hunting. Any opportunity we get, and yeah, me you know, too. Like I say, kind of any opportunity to interact with our viewers and things like that. It's you know, kind of telling some of the backstories. I think of of what goes on. I think, you know, people see on TV and on social media and figure if, you know, that's all you do is hunt, but, um, there's a lot of work to what we do and, you know, stuff like that. So it is nice to be able to tell those backstories a little bit sometimes. Yeah. Well, uh, hopefully, uh, we can get you back on the show again, maybe after the season, uh, in the, in the early winter or spring sometime when you're not as busy filming and stuff. Yeah, no, that'd be uh, if, great. Unless you're, away someplace <laughs> someplace else well we are going to be in england in january so. okay well yeah. we'll we'll figure it out <laughs> i got you on facebook now so we can uh we can definitely sort that out because i'm definitely curious to hear how your season went um, yeah when we're doing a, a very very unique hunt in england so we'll just leave it at that yeah awesome yeah good stuff all right. Thanks, listeners. Really appreciate you guys uh, checking out the show. Any uh, uh, feedback you have, you can send to the show email at uh, hopodcast at hotmail.com or you can drop us a line on Instagram at Henderson underscore outdoors. We are out of here. <laughs>